to the 423 Soccer Pod. This is Jim. You can find me on Twitter at Chattagooner. And this is Todd. You can find me at Great Footballer on Twitter. And this week on the podcast, we're going to go back and review the latest match that was the home match against Napa in a segment that we're going to call VAR, which stands for Video Assisted Review. music in Todd for our for our friends Matt and Tim who like that club that other club in North London who have to use VAR to win matches so that's why I put that I put that little song in for our little VAR segment did you like it yeah I, that's good I just I was confused I didn't even know there were clubs in North London <laughs> okay that's enough of that so uh going back and reviewing the match I did I went back and reviewed and did some stats and I and I, I'm going to be honest I'm, I did it twice Todd I did one go around with the NCAA definition of a shot, which is more like what I told you. Mm. That if it's a cross that, that looks like he's going in and is actually caught by the keeper, then they consider that to be a shot on goal. And then I went and looked. And I said, what if he goes over the crossbar? Hmm? Well, it was vague. What if it, it's a cross that goes over the crossbar? It was vague. It was vague. So, I, so then I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the pros. I'm not going to go to the NCAA. I'm going to go to Opta. And I looked at Opta's definitions. Because we're not amateurs. No, no, we're not amateurs. I went to Opta's definitions, and the the first part of Opta's definition is that there has to be an intent to score. So any if the ball goes in the net, it's, of course, considered a shot on goal, right? Even if it was a cross, even if, the, if it was pretty clear the, the player didn't mean to score or didn't mean to shoot. But if it's not, if it's clear that it's not, uh, an attempt, uh, then it's not considered a shot. So I did not consider oh, any. So, so now we now we get to, in addition to everything else, I get to judge intent on the fly. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, you can tell. Fun. You know, you can tell when when a when a player is pointing to the pointing to the well, center of the field. Just like I told you the other night, I could tell that guy meant to cross the ball. But I'm gonna I mean, but cross the ball, and you told me but that it was a shot. And well, yes, no way. because yeah, and the NCAA would consider that a shot. So I'm half right. The other thing that I there, you know, we talked about block shots. And so all of this to say that Napa had a shot in the first half. So I'm fine. <laughs> so the first, but totals, we'll just do the total. CFC, of course, had three goals to Napa's none uh, on 18 shots. Eight of those were on target. Uh, four of them were blocked. D'Amico had two saves in the second half. Uh, none of the none of Napa's uh, none of Napa or the only shot they had in the first half was not on target. And they had five in the second half, and two of those were on target. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, the corners uh, nine for CFC Napa with two, four offside for CFC Napa with five, eleven to ten fouls in the favor of CFC, and we had three yellow cards. I also did. And I don't even know if there's analytical value to these because, you know, you do corners, but normally you don't do goal kicks. So I looked at the goal kicks, and we had six goal kicks to Napa's nine. The only thing I could think there is 
that a goal kick normally means well I mean the ball has to be in the in that team's defending third right for it to be a goal kick it has to go over the end line so it it, it kind of maybe points to a little bit of possession and where the ball spent most of the time that it, it, it shouldn't be a surprise if we had 18 shots of their six that we would probably had they had more goal kicks to take than we did I also did throw-ins the throw-ins were even 21 21 but the only difference was the the in the second half you could tell we had more attacking third throw-ins and they had more defensive third throw-ins. So the ball, there were nine throw-ins in their third, their defensive third. So again, I don't know what analytical value it has other than to say that the ball spent a lot of time in their defensive third in the second half. And I think you and I, I mean, that that's kind of you know, what we just, saw with the just giving it the old eagle eye during the game. I too judge that CFC had most of the possession in the game. But I will say this. Without breaking I was, down the throw-in. I will say this. I, 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 I didn't do possession like I've done before, like I've done in the past. I just didn't want to take that much time for uh, this dominant of a win, really. But right. the, when I watched it, Napa had more possession than I initially remember them having. The, and there there was – I do remember there was a time – it was a period in the first – the latter part of the first half that they that they had a that's when they had their one shot that they had a little spell of possession but the second half they they came out and wanted to play a little bit more and you know the stats show that with you know the fact that they had they had they had five shots uh, in that second half as to, as opposed to only one that was a that was a block shot outside the 18 so um, they had more possession than I thought I think I told you the night of the match I was like gosh it looks like I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 80 20. Uh, and I would, when when rewatching it, I would say that I bet they had more possession than the Stars did when the Stars played here. And well, I mean, I would say, I mean, that may be true, uh, and, and I'm sure it is because you went back and watched it a couple of times. At the same time, I think you have to consider meaningful meaningful possession. Yeah. You have to consider, you know, was CFC really putting their their foot uh, on the gas? And there was that time during the second half where there was a lot of subs for CFC for about a 10 minute period. And anytime you have like that many subs over that kind of time, you're going to give up possession because it's just too much transition going on. And, and I think that that may have been uh, part of it. So yeah. while I'd say they probably had more than what I remember when I looked at the game as a whole, it was pretty lopsided uh, as far as meaningful possession goes. Just to recap on the goal scores, Ginky in the second, Costa in the 23rd, and Cole in the 88. We went over the score, but not the goal scores again. And uh, I've been seeing those goals pop up on uh, uh, Twitter. Uh, really fun to watch J.K. putting out some quality material. And uh, But I'll tell you that the uh, assist on Costa's goal from uh, Webb was as pretty as I remembered it being. Yeah, it, we, we, we kind of flubbed it a little bit. In in the post match review where we we said oh there's that, a shocker <laughs> we said the that his cross went to um, Juan who then passed it to to Costa when really it was just a, a long diagonal it was just ball a straight header yeah. yeah yeah and it was it really was it, you know it's one of those it's one of those crosses that looks good and then about halfway there you realize you start to stand up because you realize that this is going to be a shot on goal. It's one, it was, it was one of those where the, it curled just a little bit so that the keeper could not come out and get it. It was just far enough that the keeper was kind of stuck and it just laid right, right on top. I mean, Costa's not going to, Costa's not going to score a lot of headers, but you know, it just, it was just a perfect cross. And, you know, from where, from where I was sitting, it was just a, just a perfect angle to see 
Uh, and you could tell about halfway halfway when, uh, on that ball's flight that, that this was going to – this was either going to be a very good save or it was going to be a goal. So the second and third goal – in the third goal, you know, I've watched it multiple times now. I've watched it in slow motion. It's just – you know, it's not only a run. You have to – if you go back, Caleb steals the ball. So he takes the ball away, turns, sees space, runs into the space, puts his head up, and shoots and finishes. And it's just a – it's just a really good individual play, uh, and it's it every bit as every bit as pretty as it was when we saw it in real time. Yeah, all three goals had like significance, right? Even the Geeky goal, although it wasn't the, the prettiest thing. I mean, we we found out his his dad was there and uh, got to see got to see that goal, so it had special meaning. And I believe that was his first goal for CFC. Is that correct? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots of significance. He ends up being uh, man of the match. Uh, Costa's goal, we just reviewed it. I mean, it was, uh, you know, put on a dime by Webb. And then uh, the Cole 88th minute goal was was spectacular just because it was a, it was a one-man show with an exclamation point at the end of it. So, yeah, all three goals were great the other night and, and uh, had uh, significance. I was just, I was, it's, it's nice to be able to, uh, you know, not to have any goals that are just kind of like trap. All goals are good. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah, all goals are good. And Cam, but, you know, uh, but, I go back and look, and Cam should have had, a, should have had uh, one, at yes. least one. You know that yeah. the first one that was put right on his foot, he did everything he could to get that on goal, and it went right to the keeper. Yeah. So, but the second one, you know, yeah, I could tell. You can tell he's frustrated after, after the shot. I don't know if it took it de- that took a deflection or I don't remember if it took a deflection or not. Um, but he was frustrated by it that you know the, the ball just came right to him and and he put it wide. So yeah, I mean it was, it, it was a it was a dominating match by CFC. There was not outside of you know, and I went back and watched the Soren kind of incident in the box. And I'm going to mm-hmm. say we got really lucky. I'm just, you know, I watched it. I watched it, you know, frame by frame. And initially, I think I told you that I thought he won the ball and it was the it was the pullback that was the problem. And when, in fact, I don't think he won the ball. I think they were running stride for stride. And when he kicked at the ball, he went through the player and the player's foot is what hit the ball in the direction that it would go if he won it, which I think is why the ref thought he won the ball. But yeah. uh, but it was um, – if if I was watching that and the roles were reversed, I would be frustrated by that call. I understand why the ref may have missed it because again, the ball, the way the ball rolls, it really does look like Soren gets around him and wins the ball. Um, but in right. but if you look frame by frame, I think he gets the player, and I think we got away with one there a little bit. Um, you know, again, it's that those long balls, and I did you know I watched those again. There were four or five that connected. That just you know he was by himself, and so if if he had if he had been able to connect with a midfielder, they were just so far back that even if he got possession and was able to hold it up, it just took too long for the other players to get to him uh, because they were pinned back and you know playing in that deep in that um, three six one really. So I mean, it, and against a better team, now we're not going to you know like you said, like we said in the post match, we're we're not going to play like this against a lot of teams, but against a better team. There were opportunities for counters in that match that Napa just couldn't couldn't really finish or create. Yeah, I got a chance to talk to Sanchez right after the game, and, and he he kind of uh, uh, said the same thing. You know, if if that player would have had service, I mean, he's a quality player. The, the forward we're talking about, you know, he's a quality player, and and he was fast. He goes, if he'd had a quality service, he could have caused a lot more a lot more problems than what he did. Yeah. So uh, fast, not only but, fast, but he looks pretty strong. He he he, he yep, can he pretty he, skillful. Um, he is a he is the the center forward that I think we're lacking. The type of player that I would really like to see us have, not necessarily because 
he would be better than who we have at center forward or who our options are, but because it, it would allow us to change the way we would play. Yeah. And there are times when you need to be direct. You know, you, you you may be down one, and it's it's getting late on the second half, and you need to be more direct. You need a target man up there that can that can receive the ball, hold it with his back to goal, and and create. And we just don't we don't really have that person. We don't really play that way, right? We don't we don't really right. play route one soccer, so uh, we we may not really need it. But it would be nice to have it on the team. And I really liked him as a player. And I'm probably going to go back and look and, and see. I'm trying to figure out who he is because, uh, I, I mean, I enjoyed watching him play. And, uh, well, I enjoyed him. I can enjoy it now that we won 3-0. Yeah. After the season, Jim's going to apply to be his uh, agent. Agent. Yeah. I'm going to get I'm gonna get him a NISA, <laughs> get him in the NISA, uh, a CFC NISA contract. So Well, 3 to nothing. It was it was a good win. Uh First win back at home since mid-July, as Matt uh, bestowed upon us. So that was good. What are, where are we sitting at in the table now? So, well, I mean, just on points, we're third. So right now, New York Cosmos is still in first with 13 points. Detroit is on nine points. We're on eight. Milwaukee's on five. The Stars are on one. And Napa's on nothing. Um, that is largely because... You know, we have played six matches. We've our our performances haven't our results haven't um, haven't gone really our way. So New York has only played five matches. So they've got a, they've got a game in hand. Uh, Detroit is right. The one so the, at worst, we we can we're only two points behind Cosmos at worst. So I don't, I don't that, no, that doesn't bother me no, too bad. At, and we no. still got to go up there and play. No, at worst, at worst, we are eight points behind them. They have oh, a game in hand. I'm sorry. I was looking at the wrong stat. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, you're correct. Yeah, so they have 13 to our eight. If they play if their next match is against Detroit, if they go to Detroit and win, they will be on six games and 16 points. We will be on – we have six games and eight points. They will have doubled our points in the same number of matches. That's not good. Um, And Detroit has three games in hand. So, if – you know they are all they already have more points than us playing half the matches that we've played. So well, again, like you know, like we said after the stars, after the, you know you can go back and listen to the post match rant after the Michigan Stars match yeah. that you know yeah. it that is why you know, losing those first two games in the way we did was rough, but then coming back with that draw, you know, well, it the, really well, and, it, and I'd say there's two: the Stars draw and, and the, the Milwaukee draw. Yeah, both were both were debt were total. Yeah, that's four points dropped. We'd be sitting at twelve yeah. points. It'd be it'd be different. I mean, it, it would be just we would yeah. still be. You'd be in the hunt. Yeah, we'd be we'd be in the hunt. We'd still be a but we a solid third because again behind us the torrent have they have two games in hand and they're only three points behind us. So if they win a match, they'll be even with us. If they win their next match, they'll be even with us on points, even though they've played fewer matches. So we wow. have a really good goal Chattanooga. difference. Um, so yeah. we, we, you know, we, we have played well, like this goes to what Matt, what Matt said, you know, I guess in, as a, as a, a kind of a, a reaction to the post-match rant, or maybe it was a tweet where I said that the performances really haven't been good enough. And he said, well, I think you're talking about results because we've played fairly well. I, you know, you can go back to that's all fine and good, but I'm sitting here looking at the table and the table don't lie. So, um, we've just not taken the chances we've created and, um, and let in some goals that I think we we look back and say that was I mean we really shouldn't have. Well, we got Michigan Stars this week. All you can do is play the remaining games in front of That's you. Right. So they need to go to Pontiac, get three points, 
and see what happens. I mean, obviously winning the championship is probably uh, not in our control and probably not likely at this point. So I think all we can do is, you know, scratch and claw for second place and, uh, and see what happens, which I think is, is extremely respectable given the fact that we dropped those points against uh, Milwaukee and Michigan and dropped the first two games. And what I'll just go ahead and tell you is pretty heartbreaking fashion, especially the Cosmos game losing on a on a free kick when uh, I thought we played extremely well in that game. I thought we uh, definitely should have gotten a point out of it. Yeah. And then the Detroit game, I feel exactly the same way about that. Uh, I don't think that that game was – I'm honestly more as upset about those Detroit and New York games as I'm about the Milwaukee and Michigan games because I felt like we deserved more. Yeah. I felt like we deserved wins out of the Milwaukee and Michigan games. I felt like we deserved at least draws out of the Cosmos and Detroit City. But it doesn't matter no. how you play. It matters, matters you know, whether you win, lose, or draw. So yeah. that's the only thing that's reflected in the in the table at the end of the day. So that, That's right. All right. I guess we can move on from that. I'm yeah. tired of looking at the table. So <laughs> that's Close depressing. That. Uh, this week, we have a special interview lined up. We had a chance to catch up with Claire Tooley, the newly elected board member uh, who will be representing the over 3,200 owners in CFC. And this week's interview is brought to you by Dose Bros, who encourages you to not only eat local, but ball local. So uh, what did, uh, I guess going into this interview, I, I really didn't uh, know what to expect from Claire. Uh, but she gives us some insight as to her background and, and what uh, her expectations are uh, moving forward with CFC. So uh, let's go to the interview. And on the flip side, we're going to come back with some uh, club news and also some news from uh, around Lower League USA. We are honored to have with us tonight the first elected supporter, owner, board member. Uh, Claire Tooley is on the line with us. Claire, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are y'all? We're, we're well. Hi. So oh, Claire, yeah, doing great. <laughs> so, Claire, you uh, you are an associate with Baker Donaldson. Is that correct? And you work that, with kind of corporate correct. finance and securities? Um, that is, so when you start as an associate, they put you in a group, and I am in the securities practice technically, but I it should not be your first call if you have a security question. Okay. <laughs> Much more on the corporate finance side. Oh, corporate finance. All right. And I see you went to Mary Washington, so spent some time in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm, uh, yes. I, I spent a lot of time. In, I grew up in Virginia in Blacksburg, oh. so not too far. And then went to UT Law School. Where, where is home for you? So all over. Chattanooga definitely is home now, but I grew up in Atlanta, spent some time in Albuquerque when I was little. Uh, went up to Northern Virginia, and that's probably, if you're going by years, where I was the longest. But my sister had been in Chattanooga since 2000. Oh, okay. And when I graduated from college, had the great misfortune to graduate in 2011 during the recession and had to was looking outside of the D.C. area for jobs because it was just so expensive up there and knew that my sister was down here and started looking for jobs and started working at big Donaldson versus the paralegal in 2012. So my sister has been here for a long time. She has kids. I came down here in 2012 and then my parents came down in 2014. So it's now my hometown. It's just been a more recent transition. Did you jump right into CFC like right in that first uh, year here? I didn't. And it was something where I always 
wanted to go. But when I first moved here, I had some trouble making friends. And as much as now I think, oh, I should have gone to a game by myself because that would have been a good way to make friends. I was thinking, oh, I can't go to a game by myself. I'll look like the weirdo without friends. (laughs) So I didn't for a while. And then around 2014, that's when my nephews were playing a lot of soccer and they had been to a couple of games and called me one Saturday to go. And I came along and that is when I jumped in. So a lot of people are probably, you know, tuning into this to listen to us talk about CFC. But what we really need to talk about first is your appearance on Jeopardy. (laughs) My famed one appearance on Jeopardy. (laughs) So I, you know, I did the little Google search and, and I see the Chet, they got the, the Chet, the Nougat Today article about, about your, so I I thought, I thought I would just throw that out of left field. I didn't talk to Todd about that. So, (laughs) so how, how did your Jeopardy experience prepare you for the board member position? how much rapid response to questions while standing and holding a buzzer there will be in the board. But if there is any of that, I think <laughs> I'm maybe ready. I came in second. In, so. <laughs> well, we were not, we won't, we won't go too much. Uh, we won't go down too much on the, on the, on, on the Jeopardy. Although I, I am, you know, I always, I have a, a, a fraternity brother who appeared on Jeopardy. And so I had to ask him, you know, there's an SNL skit, where people see Alex Trebek as, as he has to be really smart because yes. he's asking all these smart questions. And so the SNLs get riffed on that. And when they went to commercial, it was, you know, they showed him as being this complete idiot, which, you know, which, <laughs> which he told me was not true. But so, yeah. I, no, and although I will say I spent as much time, almost as much time with Alex as you would see on television. <laughs> oh, really? He does not come out and socialize much, but he also has a ton of stuff to do and yeah. prepare for the day. So. I get it. No, I did have to laugh though when CFC put, you know, a little known fact that she was on Jeopardy. I was thinking when that happened at my work, that was the big thing. And when I came back, people still referred to me as Miss Jeopardy. She's <laughs> like, it's maybe not little known in certain circles. Well, but I, I, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like Harvard. Getting on the show is just is probably harder than the show itself. And so, like, getting into Harvard's harder than Harvard. You know, my, what my fraternity brother went through, and I don't know how many rounds of, of questions and all this. I don't know what you had to do, but he had to go through a, a bunch of stuff to even get on the show. So, Yeah, they, they, there are some hoops, although luckily at the time that I was trying out for it, it was when I was living in D.C., and they do one of the big oh, okay. callbacks there. So I just had to go on the Metro. You know, I think I had a friend who whose husband tried out, and he had to fly somewhere. and So I, I lucked out a little bit. So Claire, shifting from Jeopardy, we uh, that's not what people most people probably are listening to talk listening to us talk about. You've uh, Claire, you, you've you've talked a little bit about kind of what you see your role as, as maybe being uh, at least before you went to a board meeting. Now you've been to exactly one, I think, and so you, yeah. <laughs> so you, I know you've got a much clearer picture. But if you could if you could just talk a little bit about um, what you see your role on the board as being as as the person who is representing the supporter owners. Yeah, I think at least from the one meeting I've been to, I think that I'm coming in with the perspective of someone who's seen all the games from the stands. You know, I'm not there an hour beforehand <laughs> to help set things up or talking to the press or wandering around, having to chat with all different sorts of people. I am someone who, you know, for the past five years has been a butt in the seat and watching. So I think I have 
that perspective of coming in of just here's my experience on game day. Here's what I think as a fan should be different. And, but then, and also combining that with now I do have some of the inside knowledge and why, if I suggest X on behalf of the, the shareholders, we can't, you know, we can't achieve exactly that, but here's what we could do instead, instead of it just being a no. So I think it's, um, you know, having that fan experience, but also getting the extra context of what goes on behind the scenes. I guess specifically, uh, I don't know, it's laid out in the bylaws or, or legal documents. Like, your what is exactly has been expressed to you is your role on the board in terms of how does the rest of the board see you? So, from my one meeting so far, I am a director like them. I came in obviously under different circumstances. I um, have I need to get the bylaws to read. I haven't had a chance to look at those yet, but you know. And my one meeting I went to, it didn't feel like, oh, we're putting her over in the shareholder you know, shareholder corner and we'll ignore her. It was, you know, I felt like I was a part of the meeting. Now it was, it was my first meeting. So there was a lot of stuff I was seeing for the first time and didn't, you know, would need to dive in more on to fully understand. But I would think a few months from now, I'll be at the same pace. So are do you know, does your vote, when, when something goes, an issue goes to a vote, does your vote, or I guess I should say our vote, have as much weight as the other members? Or is it is it weighted by, I, I, don't, I don't know, by how much investment each member has, or do we know? So are you saying if the board votes on something? Yes. So, again, having not had a chance to read the bylaws yet, but from the way I've seen other corporations work, um, each director has the same vote. If it is something that the directors are voting on, if it was a shareholder vote, then it would go to the number of shares. Okay. Yeah, that, that kind of answers my question because I think as somebody on the outside, you know, looking into this, and I think for a lot of people out there across lower league USA, I think there's a lot of questions about exactly what uh, fan ownership means and about mm -hmm. how much uh, impact will we be able to have and terms of like say in the club and I think a lot of people are very cynical so I'm I'm trying to just kind of kind of see like you know if you have an e if we have an equal seat at the board or you know kind of just a paint of you know they put us in a small chair in the corner and tell us to turn the other way so I'm just trying to paint a picture for for those of us on the outside uh, as to you know what you see and how you feel when when you go into that boardroom and one meeting may not be uh, enough of a sample size but but yeah, anything you can think, add to your experience. Sorry, I talked over you a little bit there. Can you repeat that? Uh, just anything uh, that that you can add as far as your experience in your, in your first meeting. Just about what, sorry, what I experienced in there? Yeah, yeah. Was there anything that surprised you or anything that stood out? Um, you know, I can, I could tell not, you know, I don't, can't go into too many specifics without minutes in front of me, but you know, I can tell that this is a transitional period in many ways. First of all, in that we're nearing the end of a season. So that leads into sort of wrapping up things and then starting to look ahead, but, you know, not being able to do anything concrete yet because we're still wrapping up this season. That was definitely my first impression of just, oh, that I could already tell that I think meetings will be very different depending on where we are in the cycle of a season or the team and how that will thrive what the agenda is. Yeah, you've really come on at a, at a very interesting time. I mean, it, it, it was already interesting, you know, considering what what the club has gone through over the past 12, you know, 15, 16 months. But, mm -hmm. you know, in addition to the, 
you know, another club coming into, excuse me, another franchise or a franchise coming in to the area and can, and providing some competition that, you know, we talked to Tim Kelly before. He said, you know, they've, we really not had that type of competition before. So there's, there's that element to it. But then there's also a new league, uh, professional players, uh, professional staff, full-time staff, mm-hmm. and, and kind yeah. of in all of that. And then uh, add, on, add on top of that that they're, they, they went into this um, supporter ownership model, and now there's a member of the board. So all of that. I can only imagine you probably feel, I mean, you, you, you've described about feeling like, well, I'm, this is my first board meeting. How much, how much can I really understand and get to in that two or three, maybe one or two hours it was, I would imagine for a lot of folks in that room, this is, there's a lot of new, um, yeah. so I, you know, you, you mentioned a transition period. It's, there's a lot of new for the club, even for, even for those, those directors who've been there since 2009. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things that was talked about is this is the first time we've had games in the fall. So how does that change how, you know, how you have them? And, you know, what about outreach at UTC? You know, they did have that college night. That, got, that was so horribly raining. But just, yeah. you know, even those little things where we're moving into a new season in the autumnal sense. You know, how does that change what a game looks like? So going, going back a little bit and following up on, on Todd's question a little bit, you know, you are representing the supporter owners. Have you given a lot of thought or how much thought have you given to, you know, how do you see yourself building those connections with the supporters? How do you see yourself taking the temperature, if you will, of, of what, what you, what those 3,200 plus people uh, are thinking about uh, around the world? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. I haven't had a chance to enact anything yet because I want to narrow down some ideas and get some feedback from the board and some of my friends who are shareholders, you know, what would work for them. But one thing I think I'm going to do is set up a separate Twitter account so that way the people who aren't local and who may not be able to just come and find me at a game can get in contact with me, but then they wouldn't have to actually follow me on Twitter because they may not care about what's happening in Health Lost today or whatever <laughs> show I'm watching on Netflix. So that way they don't have to be like, oh, Claire. <laughs> you know, they can just go to the supporter shareholder Twitter page. And I'd also love to have locally, you know, some sort of local meet, not meet and greet, that sounds very cheesy, but meetings you know every other month with our holders so that way we can I can talk to people I can get the temperature I can talk to people who I don't know because while I do have a pretty varied range of people I know who are shareholders that's still not going to be representative of all of them so I'd love to be able to have time to meet in person and that way so other shareholders can meet each other I think it's a good opportunity for, for everyone to get some face time Claire you had uh I guess kind of looking at your background and obviously uh, your background just kind of leads like right into this position, uh, given that you had sat on, uh, I think you said you had presided over boards before. Well, I had in college and law school and those are a little different, Um, but you're, you are answering to people who might be more strident, but have less power (laughs) or lower stakes. But, but I have in my work done a lot with boards and just the, um, especially when I was a paralegal, just the everyday running of one and what 
what it should look like and what it can look like and what it shouldn't look like. I would say that that for me, like when I was reading your bio, that jumped off the page as a, as a huge strength uh, when going into this role. And I don't know if you view it as that, but I mean, I certainly do. What would you say maybe to that? Is it a strength having been there before? But also, what do you see as your weaknesses coming into this into this role? Ah, um, I do think it's a strength. I think, you know, having worked in this role and working adjacent to this role, like I said, has given me a lot of examples of what it can look like. And I was very lucky because coming in and talking to all the board members, this is not like some that I've seen at work where their corporate documents are in the back of a shelf that's in a storage unit that no one goes to. You know, they're on top of things, but just having regular not regulations, but just regular orders and order in place for meetings, I think is important. Um, I would say my weakness is, you know, this is my first time doing something with sports like this in this capacity. And while I know what, um, I know what a board looks like, I don't have a lot of experience with what a soccer board should look like. So I think that's just going to be, you know, for these next few months, I'm going to be trying to just learn as much as I can, because I think this is something that probably has its own language to it and its own customs and trying to learn that. So I'm so that I can accomplish things for the shareholders on the board without going about it in a totally wrong way that would actually be a step backwards. Well, not to put any additional pressure on you, but this may be the only board and structure of any soccer club in the United States like it. And all of pretty much lower league soccer in the United States is watching CFC <laughs> to see how this plays out. So no, no additional pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure. There's a lot going on uh, politically today, to say the least. Uh, and soccer is a magnet for, I guess, for politicized fights and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But there's, you see it all in soccer right now. I mean, we see the whole battle and MLS with the iron front image being shown. Uh, there's the gender pay gap with the women. Uh, we see racial injustices just like sweet. There was uh, an Italian team that was cited for screaming uh, racial uh, slurs at a player. And then we come here to CFC and right off the bat, the first owner elected board member, we elect a woman. Does that say anything to you about CFC or about uh, well, just about where we are in general. Yeah, it's. I've been thinking about this a lot, especially because at the board meeting, uh, that was the first time I'd been the only woman in a room, which was strange and you know exciting for me to be that first woman. But it does come with, in addition to being the first supporter, shareholder, director, there's also that, and there's just a lot of baggage that comes with that, and a lot of expectations and. You know, on the one hand, I think that, you know, when I saw the list of candidates come out and I was the only woman, I remember thinking, I was like, you know what, for some people, they're probably going to vote for me because I'm a woman, because they think that that is something that the sport needs. One thing I will say that what I like about soccer fans in the U.S. is that it is pretty gender neutral and that you do see, you know, sort of 50-50 in terms of fans. But I'm guessing there are some people who probably did not vote for me because I'm a woman and sports is still much as I just said, I think that a lot of women watch soccer sports are still extremely divided in that sense. And, you know, it's, it's really great to be elected. And I think it does say a lot of good things about 
Chattanooga um, and CFC fans, but I think, like you just said, it's silly to pretend like none of this exists outside of our bubble. Yeah, the only other, like, I started thinking about women in soccer and in powerful positions in, in soccer, and really only two others uh, came to mind. Uh, the first is uh, Cindy Parlow, which is uh, works uh, for U.S. Soccer, and the second is Mia Hamm, which is one of the co-owners of LAFC. Mm-hmm. So I would say you're in pretty good company uh, yes. in terms of uh, females uh, in significant roles of soccer teams in this country. Yeah, but then it's, you know, that you can name two is such a bummer. <laughs> yeah, but the two I named are, are quite significant. The two, so. the two <laughs> names are quite good. <laughs> but as much as fandoms changing, the things that run it are slower to change, and that's like any industry. They're all slow to change, and it's hard to pull people into big roles when they haven't been developed for them, and you don't have that talent pool. So, you know, I was really lucky with this opportunity that it was something that was uh, within my skill set, and it was an opportunity that was open to me, but that's not the case in a lot of different cities. I mean, obviously, again, we were the only one where this was the this is the case and this is an opportunity. So can you give us an idea of what we should be looking for over the course of the next 30 to 60 days? Like coming, I guess, from, uh, I'm trying to think of how I'm going to phrase this, your office? <laughs> from my office. Um, my from office, which currently is my laundry room. But, um, yeah, I think definitely my goal is by the end of September to have established at least one way for people to get in touch with me and sort of keep my have a suggestion box that is open because I do want to start that dialogue early. I think it would be, obviously I would never want to delay that, but you know, life happens and I think it could be easy to just sort of be like, Hey, I'll do it next month. So, you know, my goal is to get that done at the, by the end of the month. And I have many people who are holding me to that. So I think that's something definitely within less than the next 30 days. But I think for other things, I'm, cause I'm going to start talking to some people and see what their vision is for this role. I'm going to talk to, I am now, of course, blanking on their names, the uh, two runners up who are going to be on the advisory board and discuss with them because I know they had ideas and ideas that were good. So I want to get that input from them and see what they envision for this role and what I think that I could carry over. Yeah, I think we had been told that uh, there was going to be uh, two, like you said, advisory positions for the two runners up. Uh, have you had a chance to meet with them yet? I haven't. It's we were supposed we were supposed to meet at the big old brainout game, and that didn't work. Okay. So yeah, so the, I think that's that's Philippe, right? Philippe and Jonathan. Yes, yes, that's it. I knew if you said it, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Did I, you know we we had heard about. Uh, the I guess when when we we heard who won the election, um, some folks from ECFC told us that Jonathan and Philippe would still be involved in in an advisory group, but that the the, the, the how that the shape of that group, the kind of the charge of that group was still really up in the air. Is there any more solidity to what that group might be and what their what their charge will be? Yeah, I don't know how much I can say about it right now since it is still in process, but it looks from what I saw. Of last meeting, I think it is starting to come together more. They're starting to look at people for positions on it. I think it's going to be a lot more about the game itself and what that looks like. But I think there, you know, still is that spot in there for what the fan experience is. That is part of the game. So, but yeah, I it's still 
in process. It's still coming together, but I think it's, it looks like it's taking shape. Definitely when I uh, was reading about it in the meeting and hearing them talk about it, it sounds like it's, it's coming along nicely. Yeah, I was really excited to see that they were going to bring in uh, the two runners up as a, uh, in this advisory position, because I think, you know, when I was sitting there looking, I thought there were, there were several candidates that had very, that had like very specific skill sets. And I thought that would be really great. And this would be really great. And, you know, it just turned out that you, you can only put one in the first position. And so when they brought this together, it's like, oh, wow, it's like great now. And I looked at the strengths of each and I was like, this is this is really going to be good because their voice just isn't going to be lost in the wilderness. It'll, it'll still yeah. be there and able to make an impact. So I'm really looking forward to see what, what comes out of this uh, advisory group. Yeah, no. And I think it's, it'll especially be good for me because you know, you want someone who's close to the process who can also offer advice because you, know, you don't want it just being a total flood of voices. And so having someone to help sort through that and what common themes are we seeing? And it's just so good to get a second set, a second and third set of eyes. So I think it's going to be hugely helpful. And you can stop me if this stuff is, is are things that you're talking about that really we, we can't really know yet, but is there a, do you, is this a, is this group going to have a specific director who's the liaison between them and the board? You know, how, how many folks are going to be on that advisory committee and, and how are they going to be selected? This is kind of stuff that I don't know if I can talk about. And also I left my notes at work, so okay. I would not be. <laughs> so I also shouldn't talk about it because I might just say something that's incorrect. So. Darn. That's why we're asking these questions. See if we can get you to slip up and let us break yeah. some, some breaking news that we could break on the podcast. So I, I figured, I mean, I, I, I figured some of this stuff was, was still really up in the air and um, didn't know what, didn't know what you could share. This is a two year appointment. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So you're very, it's very early days. So this may be unfair for me to, to, to ask you, but um, I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) So have you thought about, I mean, I'll just say what, at the end of those, these two years, what, what are some things that you have set for yourself as indication indicators to you that, that you've done what you, you feel like you, you've wanted to do? Yeah. And I've been thinking about that. And I think, again, it is, I think it's early days to have specific goals because I think, I think once we really transition into NISA, I think that's going to change a lot of things. And I think that's going to help, going to help with a lot of focus. I do think generally for me though, right now, this is like we've said a million times, it's a transition time, but I also think it's a transition in terms of what the club is. And as we move from it being in a lot of ways, a startup to something more established and it has been established for a while but I think just changing the way we feel about it from scrappy underdogs to to something that is fully integrated into this community and that is something that's professional and I just I don't just mean that in terms of going into NISA but that it's something that you look at and you think yeah that's a well-run that's a well-oiled machine. You know what? I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I couldn't agree with that statement more. And and it's not just uh, the on-field product that has to make the jump to that professional level. It, it's the all the off-the-field stuff too. And and I think that's and you, you're right. You can't play the scrappy underdog uh, forever. You know when you're playing these these other teams and 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 that sort of thing. And I think when we were in the MPSL as an amateur team and we were facing these other teams. We were happy just to, you know, 
to have a good showing or mm-hmm. to uh, draw. But, you know, it's like you said, now transitioning from that to a professional, the expectation has to change. You have to excel in your new peer group and mm-hmm. where everybody is pro and everybody is trying to take the other one down. So I, I think it changes the entire perspective. And I think I think we're seeing a little bit of that even coming through in the Members' Cup. Yeah, and I think, and it's a balance too because you want to be a professional. You want to feel like I have earned my seat at this table, but also I don't want it to become this soulless corporate thing. Like I love going to the games because it is fun and it has character. And, you know, I that's what I always go back to is I always think of the time when there was the guy in the T-Rex suit with the t-shirt cannon. We haven't done that in a while because maybe that was a little too wacky, but so those things where we don't, we probably shouldn't do that if we're going to be more professional, but we do need to keep the spirit of the games. We just need to make sure we're elevating everything else and we're not relying on spirit alone. Oh, I thought we didn't do that because he about took somebody's head off in the front Yeah, row. no, that thing like, went really far. <laughs> it, I remember it hit the windows on the boxes. <laughs> I was nervous. See, there I might was, have been some liability issues. I was, I was genuinely fearful for everyone on the first row because those little <laughs> T-Rex arms just couldn't get the angle right, and it seemed like those people were in like the direct line of fire. Oh, yeah. So like, we're going to have a casualty. <laughs> Can you tell that I'm not a lawyer who does anything related to injury? Because <laughs> I forgot everything. Yeah, really. Yeah, that <laughs> – Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, m- most attorneys are really, really risk averse. So I'm risk averse in different ways. But <laughs> in different ways, okay. Well, um, so are there any are there any kind of final thoughts or final things you want people to know about or to think about uh, concerning your new role yeah, on the board? Yeah, I think that the first few months are just going to be a big learning experience for all of us, for me, for the shareholders, for the board. Because, like you said, this is the first time this has been done. So we are, we have gotten on the bike, there are no training wheels, and we are going forward, and we'll see what happens to really carry out a bad metaphor. But um, I think it's just these first few months are going to be a transition, and I think we're going to have to all learn together how it works best and what that looks like. And I think also what's going to work in three months may not work any months. I think we're, you know, we will have to adapt with the team and its journey. So I think I would just ask that people be patient, and, but also to give uh, constructive feedback when they feel it's needed, because I do want, I don't want this to be a ceremonial role. I want it to be representative. And that's just going to be hard if people don't tell me straight up, hey, what you're doing isn't working, or I really like it when you did X. So I think a good feedback loop will be helpful, but to also understand that this isn't something that we're just taking out of the box and it's going to be perfect, that there will have to be some trial and error. <laughs> and we're going to hope we're going to hope for the best and we're going to get the best. It's just not going to be immediate. Well, that's great. Uh, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time and maybe uh, if uh, if there's anything that we can do to help be the conduit between you and you know the the two people that listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. I mean b- both of those shout out to our moms. Have good, yeah. <laughs> they have strong opinions about how the teams run. <laughs> but but if there's anything that we can do to help out, I, I'd love to have you know maybe you come back on 
and you know at the end of the spring season Definitely. and you know and kind of see where we are uh, at that point uh, as an owner myself you know I'm, I'm I'm really proud that we do have female representation on the board and uh, you know I think it's something that is needed uh, because I you know I really want I feel like this club needs to get back into the women's game mm-hmm. uh, I think it needs it you know, and I hope it stays in the MPSL game. It's in some way that may not happen next yeah, year. But, but there, um, you know, it's definitely being talked about. And I think especially with just having a Women's World Cup, that was watched by a lot of people. You know, we know there's an interest. And what I keep thinking about was the story of Rose Lavelle during the 2015 World Cup, watching it with her. I care if it was an MPSL team, but, you know, something along those lines. And watching the final with her teammates and then going to the World Cup in 2019 and thinking, like, there is no reason that we should not be, you know, helping train the next Rose Lavelle. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks so much for spending a little time with us. Uh, again, we've, this is, uh, you know, we've had Claire Tooley on. This, she is the first supporter owner board member for CFC, and it was a pleasure to get to talk with you. And hopefully it won't be our last time, and uh, we'll see you at the match on Saturday. I'm sure yes. hopefully it's not going to be. Hopefully it's not going to be raining like it was Pray for sunshine. Uh, the the last time. So I mean, it was like flooding in the stands. Yeah, I yeah I just I gave up and went up to the press box, um, and we sat up there, and I felt I felt bad for the those poor Chattahooligans who were out there. Oh yes, they. But they're doing the Lord's work. But that, yeah, yeah, but that's who they are. They're just a little insane. So, uh, so again, again, Claire, thanks, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yes. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. And thanks again to Claire Tooley for taking some time out to talk with us and uh, where she sees uh, what she sees as her uh, new position in the club. And thanks to Dose Bros for helping uh, make that segment possible. Uh, Remember to visit them at one of their seven locations between Dalton, Chattanooga, and Cleveland. So, yeah, it was really nice to get to speak with her. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the interview. And I don't. I think this. You know, after we 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 stayed on the phone a little bit with her after after we stopped recording, and perhaps the most important thing, Todd, is that it provides another Arsenal presence on the board to to battle against Tim's. You know, the the Spurs presence that he he provides. So I think yeah, that's. I think that, that's, that that noise you just heard was me rolling my eyes. <laughs> that's what I took. That's what that's what I took away from from the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. You know, one thing that I was a little bit apprehensive about at first, I think, was, you know, she really doesn't have what we would call a soccer background, you know, or or she's not like super involved in supporter culture. And, and you said yet, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think a lot of my fears were kind of alleviated by, you know, you were kind of like, you know, maybe that's not the most important thing for this position. Right. And then, of course, with them assembling uh, the advisor group the advisory group below mm-hmm. and, and being able to bring other people on board i'm really excited at the possibilities for this yeah when you when you and i talked about that after after we stopped recording you know it made me remember the comment that tim kelly made when we interviewed him about his business when he interviews folks for one of his businesses either cfc or his uh his um motorcycle business and he said you know, people come to him and say, I'm your perfect candidate. I love X. I love motorcycles or I love soccer. And he's like, that's not the person I'm looking for. I don't, you know, I can, I can teach you the soccer stuff. I can teach you the, you know, you'll learn that stuff. I need somebody who knows what they're doing and, you know, and, and knows and has a business acumen or has a legal acumen 
or has the, the ability to kind of operate on a, in a boardroom. And, you know, after speaking with her, right, she's, she's not an ultra, right? You know, she's not popping smoke. You know, we don't even do that anyway, but you know what I mean? She's not, she's not that, but I don't know that I care. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the conversation with her. I think she's going to be a good voice in the room. And it, and I think most importantly for me, maybe not most importantly for me, but it's, it's certainly important for me. It's, it's a, it's a female voice in the club that I think is important, especially considering, I think, you know, I, I speak for myself, but I think I also speak for a lot of, a lot of owners and fans that we have talked with that we need to get back in the women's game. And so to have a, a woman's voice at the table, I think is important. And she was the only uh, female voice or female person, you know, the only woman who applied. And so, you know, it's good to have that voice there. And, um, and so I, I appreciated her taking some time. I think you can tell in the conversation that it's still really early for her. You know, she's been to one board meeting. And so I think, you know, we, we, we talked to her about coming back later in the spring and, and talking with us some more. And so I, I hope, I hope that she you know, comes back on the, the podcast and talks with us a little bit about maybe what, you know, what her first year or her first rest of the season was like. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see like how her perspective uh, changes over the course of uh, probably the next you know four to six months in terms of you know what her expectation was initially and then what the reality was uh, you know coming out on the other side of this. But no, I mean going back to the you know being a woman, I mean I, I'm just glad it was a obviously a non-issue for uh, CFC owners. And, you know, they looked right past that and they looked at the resume and they voted based on who they thought was the best candidate. I mean, I, I can truly appreciate that. And I, I hope that at least I hope that's why everybody voted that way. Uh, I felt like we got a really good uh, board uh, rep. And I, like I said, I'm really excited about the the other two uh, uh, second and third place winners uh, being also brought in to the uh, committee. And uh, uh, we'll we'll get more information about what that committee is going to do uh, moving forward. So, uh, anything else to add to the interview? No, I again, it was it was good, and I I I, pre- I really appreciate her taking some time out to to speak with us. And hopefully, we will that won't be the last time we speak with her. And 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 again, like I said, at the end of the the end of the, the in Nisa season in the spring, I, I think it'd be be different and be it'd be a different opportunity for her to 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 talk with us you know she she mentioned going in and and not you know not really knowing a whole lot because it was her first board meeting now you know you have to you know she's entering the board in a time when a lot there's a lot of new stuff for all of them you know it's there's it's a it's a time of transition so uh, you know, there are some things that she's going to be learning just with every, you know, the same time as everybody else so uh, again, I think it's a, it's an exciting time, and and uh, I hope wish her well, and and I'm looking forward to seeing what she and the rest of the board uh, do because we have uh, that's a that's a pretty decent segue because we have it a, a yes. fairly important decision for us. Yeah, well, like I was about to say, and there's about to be some more change. Yeah, there's about to be a little more yes, change. Yes, uh, cue the the uh, the breaking news. Bum, yeah. Bum, bum, bum. yeah. Yeah, just a little bit before we, you know, this, we're recording on the, you know. Well, first of all, we about recorded yesterday, and if yeah. we would have recorded yesterday, we would have missed like some big news all today. Of the so, news. all yeah, pretty much all the news, and we'd had to sit on it for a week. But yeah. let's dive into it. Yeah. So the first thing the club tweeted out, they tweeted out a, this this graphic that said "Stay tuned," which is you know, which is the official 
which is the uh, official um, you know motto of lower league soccer. But so I, I you know I was like oh goody what what the heck is this? I thought you know because we all knew that the NPSL was putting out some stuff around one that when that came out or it may have come out because I was seeing this a little bit later because I, I I was off Twitter for a little bit for a dentist appointment. So when I came back, all of this happened at once. So when I saw it, I'm like, is this related to the the information that NPSL is gonna is gonna be putting out? And I kept scrolling, and I quickly realized, nope, this is not related to that. That Sheldon Grizzle has has uh, announced that he will be stepping down as club president, and but will stay on the board of the club, the academy, and the foundation. So he's not, we're not losing Sheldon. He's just moving to a different role. You know, he came in to that role, you know, because we had some people leave that maybe the club weren't expecting to leave. And so first question, were you shocked? Was I shocked? No. Yes, were you shocked? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I know. I, 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 I will say I hadn't thought about it. So it wasn't a situation where I was like, I was, I was not stunned, but it's not something I had said, oh, I expect this to happen. I think... I should have maybe expected it to happen, you know, considering that this was a real transition period. Now it, it seems to be a pretty good time, uh, maybe for some new leadership. I don't know. I mean, not that he's, he, I mean, there's no reason for him to, I don't know of any reason for him to leave, but so, no, I wasn't, I wasn't completely shocked because I figured, you know, he, when the way he took the position and the way he came, he came on, you know, into that, into that role was, Emer- I don't know. Emergency may be a little over dramatic, but it, I mean, he we we needed we needed somebody there, and he stepped up and and did it and and did it well for the past you know year or so. And so, no, I don't think I was really shocked. Were you? I don't think I was. No, I don't think I was shocked so much. I think I was at first. I was like, I saw it, and I was like, what? And then I was like, oh well, yeah, okay, I can yeah. see that. Because when you look, you know, because it's kind of when you look at like you know his his history, uh, like you know what he's done in the past. He's kind of a startup guy, and you know he kind of tells you that, and you know how he got involved uh, with CFC to begin with, and what he's done actually since then. And yeah, I think it was just one of those cases where uh, a year, you know, last eighteen months, like you know, everybody looked around and we need somebody to fill the position. He knew the club, he knew the position they were in, he knew the ins and outs, and I think it was an easy, uh, easy move to make at that time. And I think now it's kind of kind of goes along with what he does, and now that. You know, the club is headed in the right trajectory. He's kind of feels like it's a good time to just let loose of it and let somebody else come in where this is more in their wheelhouse. And so, you know, CFC is going to be uh, probably on a, uh, a nationwide search for somebody to fill this position and maybe, you know, probably looking at somebody that actually has experience uh, in this area. If there if there is anyone, I, I highly doubt there's anyone with this exact expertise of independent soccer club uh who is supporter owned uh seen as i think we're the only ones that do that but but hey yeah but that you know the i think the the big thing for me would be to get somebody in who who understands the sports landscape in in the united states and has some experience working with player with player movement with hiring coaches with you know that type of thing um you yeah know, there's the, a lot to take in it's not as simple like you said it's I think it's even more difficult to get somebody from overseas because when they're not uh, familiar with the landscape, once again, the strangest sporting landscape in the world, and then you throw in like the mix of college and how that works, mm-hmm. and it can get it gets very uh, 
confusing very quick. And it's like, and they're kind of, well, why can't these players play? Well, they're tied in with this college. Oh, but these can because they're in a different college system. So, yeah, it gets ugly quick. So I think uh, we're probably going to be looking at somebody that's actually U.S.-based as opposed to foreign-based, if I had to guess. Yeah, and, and I don't know, again, how, you know, I, I maybe it would be good to get Sheldon or, you know, Tim back on to kind of talk about, to talk about, maybe Tim now, to talk about, how they see the club being structured. You know, football clubs around the world are structured a little bit differently, um, depending. But, you know, it's not unusual to have someone to be – to have a club president. You have a GM or director of football maybe that some some places call it. And I think that the, – did Bill carry that title? Was that he was the coach and the GM? Is that – I think that's what I saw on the website – so with him, not, I think he did. with him not being here now, you know, is, was that Shelt was Sheldon in that role? And you know, who is in that role? Who is the director of football? Who is the person that's kind of deciding this is the CFC, this is, this is the CFC way we're going to play. And these are the players we're going to go find and, 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 and get, are we going to have a, a, a setup where we have somebody that does that? Is that going to be the coach? Is a coach going to be taking that role? You know, kind of not only just the on-field coach, but setting the direction for the club. My guess is, my guess is that someone is going to be wearing multiple hats. Yeah. Whether it's the coach acting as a GM or the GM is also under the uh, president's. You know, one way or the other, I think a, a club of this size, you're going to have to have somebody's going to have to wear both hats. Yeah. Unfortunately. And, but, but these are questions that we as fans haven't really had to ask of CFC. I mean, it's been, we show up in the summer and we've got college players or we've got, we've got players that were here last year. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different way of thinking uh, about you or about the club and about, uh, about the organization. So I'll be very interested to see who is, who is up for the position and, and who eventually takes the role. Um, Michelle, like I and said, I wonder, I wonder if the uh, uh, board member will have a vote. I'm sure uh, a vote on whether you know who gets uh, appointed next. Wouldn't you think they would? Yes, I would think so. I would think the board. This is a, a decision. It that could be one of the yeah. It could be one of the first big actions that yeah. the uh, owner board member takes. So yeah, very interesting. Yep. So again, he he will still be on the board. He will still be on the board of the academy, which I think is important to have. Again, to have that presence uh, from the senior club on the academy board, and he'll still be working with the foundation. And he and he and Tim and uh, one other person. Oh, I can't remember who now. Uh, there are three. Three of the board members are also will be doing this uh, with leading Avant Soccer, uh, which is uh, an organization public, uh, who will, in partnership with the club, provide strategic guidance to existing and prospective community-minded ownership groups who want to build local clubs. So, like a consulting group that will go out and spread the the gospel of lower league or. Uh, independent soccer in the United States. It's, it sounds like they're going to capitalize on what CFC has been doing for free for the past 10 years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go back to Sean Mann and say, Hey, we, <laughs> yeah. You know, remember all that stuff? We, we're got an invoice for you now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's change and it's going to be interesting. I just don't know how much change it's going to be. I think the the first question I would have for the club is tell me, kind of give me what the, the club president role is and, and is that going to encompass like the, the director of football slash general manager type of role, 
or is that going to be given to the coach? And, you know, and it's something that you and I haven't really talked about is, you know, we, we, we had an MPSL coach and now we have a members cup coach. Well, I was going to get around to that. You know, my, I guess, I don't know why in my head, I just assumed that, you know, like you said, we had a members cup coach and now we had an MPSL coach and who's going to coach next year. And I guess I just assumed that Bill would be back in the spring to take the full-time gig. I don't know why I assume that. Yeah. I, I mean, would. It remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know when, you know, I, I would kind of hope that that's the plan. I don't know. You know, he's got another job right now. So he's, you know, he's coaching a team in Florida. So, you know, I, it would be nice to have some clarity, excuse me. He would nice, it would be nice to have some clarity around that, but we've got four, what, four matches left, right? We've got four members cut matches left and then, right. and a, um, a home and away with Stumptown. So we've got six and we've got six matches left to, to go. So it, you know, it, it's something that we don't, I'm not really overly worried about, but when those Stumptown matches come around and we, if we still haven't heard what the plan is for the spring, I, I'd be starting to get a little nervous. Um, I, I think it'd be good. I think it'd be good for the players. I think it would be good for, for, for everybody to kind of know, you know, come over going into, uh, we'll be going to that little winter break. So, and again, it's all new, right? I mean, it's what the part of the exciting yeah, thing. I, I don't, you know, I think, I think we will know this year just because I think there has to be greater transparency and better direction. And, and just because the structure now, you know, before there was really nobody to answer to. And now there's, you know, over 3,200 owners that you have to answer to. So I, I would look for them to be more transparent as well as more forthcoming with information uh, as it, you know, as it kind of develops. Yeah. All right. So next on the podcast, we're going to cover just a little bit of Members Cup news. We already went over the table, talked a little bit about the Golden Boot graphic that 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 uh, MPSL put out with uh, Costa show, showing right now at the top of that of that table. Um, there was a report earlier out of from a from a Twitter account at Wisconsin Soccer that stated that they were reporting that the Torrent had has acquired the needed financial backing to join a third division league, and they had planned on they planned on looking to apply to USL League One or NISA for the 2021 season. the the uh, The outlet um, reached out to the owner uh, Andreas. Uh, Davi and he declined to comment. It is it is a note I would say that currently they may be playing right now. That, that tonight the Torrent are playing Forward Madison, which is a USL uh, League One team uh, franchise. So you know it's interesting. I don't. You saw that, uh, Todd. What did you? Uh, what do you think about that? Oh, I, I have mixed emotions, you know, because obviously I, I think Milwaukee is an ideal market. I kind of look at it the same way I do Madison. Um, I see, a, you know, definite potential there. And, uh, you know, going back with our uh, conversation that we had uh, last week, you know, uh, it was just kind of one of those things where it just seems like they need the right, uh, I guess, uh, mechanism in play to really get that that market motivated. It seems like maybe having a professional team uh, would do that. I don't know why it's, it takes that, but, it, I mean, it seems like that might be what they need. So it got me excited about it. But then I read, well, it might be Nice or it might be USL. And needless to say, USL does not excite me. And so it almost becomes like a battleground team, right? It's like who will win between the two yeah. uh, feuding leagues. So I think it's really interesting from that perspective. Uh, and uh, and it'll be, I think, pretty 
uh, interesting to to watch it play out over the over the coming months. We didn't get any idea as to which way they're leaning. I mean, they're in a the Members Cup now, which you look at the teams that are in that, and you would say, well, maybe they're leaning towards you know CFC Detroit City top way. And but then tonight they're playing the friendly against uh, Ford Madison, which is a USL team. Yeah. So you know does and you give the timing of this announcement. It's like, well, was, should we read anything into that? We probably shouldn't read anything into anything. This but. really was an announcement. I think this this kind of seems like you said this before we started recording. This seems like somebody at the club is has leaked something to to a friend or to a reporter or something, and and that's that's how this information got out. So yeah, or it could you know it could be by design too. I mean, you never know about these things. Yeah, uh, I do. I, I, we've heard it before where guys are, you know, we heard it with the Michigan stars owner. He, I mean, he had told me that, you know, in the next two years that they're going to go to either NISA or USL. I mean, that, that appears to be uh, another battleground top team uh, moving forward. So uh, there'll be another one to keep an eye on. Of course, uh, maybe uh, uh, less enthusiasm about that one, but at the same time, it's, it's just another team. Yeah. You know, I, I forgot to add this onto our notes, Todd, but something else that came out of the torrent this week, I'm sure you saw it come across your feed. Apparently, during the last Members' Cup match between the torrent and Detroit City, one of the torrent players was heard to make some racial comments to, I think it's Cyrus, I think it was, the player who uh, for, for Detroit City. I believe he was... He was given a red card uh, for for the comments. It, it is it's fairly obvious that everybody agrees that it occurred, that uh, something happened. I know that the torrent got a red during that match. I believe I read somewhere that it was for this for these comments that this player made, and uh, I, t- kudos to the torrent because they came out very quickly. Uh, they put out a statement uh, today. At, well, was it today? It was maybe yesterday. Maybe yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yesterday. Uh, yesterday afternoon, stating that after reviewing all relevant and accessible information from parties involved in the match on Saturday, the Torrent have parted ways with player Francisco Felipe today due to violation of team code of conduct policies. So it's really unfortunate um, that you would have somebody – engage in that behavior on the pitch. I mean, it's unfortunately we've, we've heard about it on, you know, in, in the Italian media, there was a soccer reporter that said something unbelievable about Lukaku. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. Fairly disgraceful. Yeah. I mean, I just can't, I can't believe that it was, well, yes, I can. It's 2019. Um, But, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's really unfortunate that this happened and, uh, I, I applaud the torrent for, uh, and I think from what I heard, I think it was Cyrus. Say, is it Cyrus Sadie? Is that his yes. name? I believe his own. When he when he tweeted out about it, he said that when it occurred, not only his teammates but the teammates for the the other torrent players all kind of stood up and was like, "This what? No." I mean, and so there seemed to be. He seemed to be getting some support from the other players on the pitch, not just his own players. I think I think that speaks well. Um, you know, and and we don't know we don't know how this ties in either to the CFC game, which we had also heard rumors about racial comments being made. We were unable to clarify after I spoke with a couple of players. We we're unable to clarify uh, if anything was said and to whom. 
Uh, it seems like something was said, but we could not get clarification. So it is interesting that this was two games in a row where uh, allegations of racial slurs being used uh, in, in a Milwaukee game were made. And uh, I wonder if, if anything came out of the CFC game, if there were any investigations into that one either after those allegations were made. Yeah, well, I, I doubt there was. I mean, I know that, I know that the, the coach reached out to us and said, hey, I want to know you know, if I want to know if, you know, what, you know, if I, you know, we, we would certainly like to know more and you and I, you know, you spoke with one, you spoke with a couple of players and really couldn't narrow it down. And so I, I haven't really talked about it a lot because it's, it seems like it's a, it's the player's story to tell, right? I mean, it's not, it's right. not really ours. It does, it does, it does seem more plausible now in, sure. in a lot of, of, of events over this past weekend that, that could have happened. Uh, I mean, really, you and I, we, we were wanting to find out because if it didn't happen, we wanted to quash that as soon as possible because we don't want that getting out about another club if it's, if it's you know, there's no truth to it. Right. Uh, that's that's equally uh, as offensive. So, uh, like I said, I just, I just wondered if there was ever any tie-in with that. And like I said, it does give, I think, a little bit of credence to, you know, uh, the possibility that that, that could have happened. And if the individual on uh, Twitter, um, you know, we were questioning, we weren't really doubting them, but we were just trying to get to the bottom of, of what right. happened. Yeah. I think they were like, well, you know, it's, you know, I guess they were questioning why we didn't believe them. And it was just like, well, we're just trying to find out the facts. Who, who said what? Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I, I, I don't doubt that, that that person heard what they heard the player tell them. I don't doubt that the player right. told them and I don't doubt that the player heard something. It's just that, when we reached out to who we think the player is, you know, he was, yeah. he was not very clear. And, and it was clear that, you know, he just was not interested in, in, in going forward with anything. And so right. that's fine. It's his story to well, tell. Cyrus, Cyrus said he was very upfront about it in his tweet, you know, he's, but I don't, I again, I, I don't think, out. yeah, I mean, I, I think this, this seemed to be what much more egregious than what we, than the other thing that we heard. This happened on the pitch. This happened with player to player. It was clear, clearly heard by other people on the pitch. Right. Um, and and was addressed. Uh, he, the player was ta- was um, sent off, I believe, for that. And then and then you know the the club reviewed reviewed it and talked to folks who were uh, who were involved and acted fairly quickly. I mean, this, you know, this match was Saturday, and by Tuesday, or excuse me, by Monday, uh, you know, they're parting ways with the player. And so um, it's you know it's good to see. I'm I, I'm glad I'm glad the torrent did that, and um, hopefully that'll be the last we hear of that nonsense uh, on the pitch in um, in the members' cup and, and going forward. So going forward, absolutely, and all yeah. across all leagues. I mean, it's just it, it is 2019, and, and it is a, a weird space to live in for sure. But the idea that that you think you can say something like that uh, in, in a in a public space. Uh, on a soccer field or, or anywhere else, and there not be uh, a reprimand of the highest order is yeah. is un- for me unfathomable. I just can't even imagine like what kind of where, where you're living that you think that that's gonna that's gonna fly. So, yeah. so anyway, that that's really uh, I think all about the members' cup news. That we you know we've we, again we already talked about the table and and you know our next match is we're heading up to Pontiac to play the Stars and. We really need the three points out of that. We cannot, you know, mess around, and so hopefully, hopefully, we can get up there and um, you know compete really well, play well. And I, I wonder how we're going to set up. I wonder if he's going to go up there and 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 just set up the team to really take it to you know take take it to them. It's going to be interesting. The only thing. position I think we can 
we put ourselves in as uh, I think from this point forward, especially against teams like uh, Napa and and of and I, I acknowledge that the Stars are better than Napa and that Milwaukee is certainly better than Napa. But now against both of those teams, you really have to go for all three points. Uh, and I know they're playing away. They're playing in a dome. It's going to be a little bit weird like that, but you still have to go for the win. I mean, we're a better team than, than Michigan is uh, in spite of what we showed last time, and you just got to go for all three points. There's There's not really another option. They did put up a good fight against the Cosmos there. I watched a little bit of that match with the Cosmos in that when they played at at the Stars and uh, Star, the uh, excuse me, New York came out with a two nil victory. But uh, it, it was you know the, especially the first half they put up a good fight. So I, I imagine it will be close for a while. I, I certainly you know I think it's going to depend again if we if we finish the chances we create. I think we come back with three points. If we don't and leave them in the game. We are susceptible to a counter. We're susceptible to you know a foul or free kick or a penalty, and we could be coming back with with fewer than three points. And so you know, hopefully, we, you know, you know, as we as we talked about, we start with a clean sheet. So if we can just play sound defensively and then take the chances that we're probably going to create, I think we'll come back with uh, three points. So that that'll be it for the Members Cup. Um, you know, moving on to. Other news that came out this afternoon at Big uh, News yeah. Tuesday. So I, we have heard for a while that something along the lines of a full season MPSL was going to be announced soon. Again, going back to the the official motto of, of lower division soccer. Uh, it's so better t- than MLS is sixty to ninety days. I remember <laughs> so like it used to be sixty to ninety days was for everything. Fifteen years ago in MLS, yeah. yeah. So um, MPSL announced that they would be moving to to have kind of three competitive uh, seasons. Uh, no, well, I guess they're not seasons. Three competitive periods, two competitions, and so I don't know. If I don't know what we're calling this. MPSL Plus, MPSL Pro. It's not Pro. MPSL Full. I don't know, but it's more. <laughs> M- it's more. <laughs> it's more. It's more MPSL and and. Uh, so it's sanctioned through USASA. It is not sanctioned through USSF. So there is no, there are no PLS standards they have to worry about. Again, there are three competitive periods. There's a spring session from March, for March and April. Summer from April to August. That's the same kind of uh, calendar that we've been operating under with NPSL for a while. And then the a fall season, August to November. Uh, there are two competitions though. That spring and fall are one. And the summer session is separate. Teams can do just the summer, or they have to compete in all three. So if if a, if a team wants to do spring fall, they also have to do the summer uh, session. They've talked about increased standards in terms of venues, staffing, and budget. So that sounds a lot like in, you know the MPSL's own version of PLS. And then there will be amateur players or your favorite. Unpaid professionals. <laughs> so, so again, Which, I, we, we've been talking about what that means, and I, I guess we're talking about people who can. They won't be paid for playing, quote unquote. They'll be paid for uh, coaching or grounds crew or custodial work or uh, my Kuju feeds. Yes. Or I'm trying to think of uh, of other uh, creative ways that players could be paid. Lining the fields. Lining so, the fields. Yes. Walking the. Crew. Lock, yeah, locking the uh, locking the goals up after after practice, 
cutting the orange, you know, pulling out the orange slices, all of that stuff. Oh, yes. They'll all be now paid positions. All for paid these positions. Unpaid professionals. Yeah. So I, I do think that's what it means. Like you've got amateurs that are truly not paid or not to do anything. They just come and play. And you've got these other folks who, you know, there may be a, you know, what some folks call a generational club. So there's a senior club that's in MPSL, but there is also an academy. And the players coach in the academy and get paid to do that stuff, but not paid to play soccer. We know we've seen that. I mean, we've seen it with CFC. So I think that's what I think that's what they're talking about. Uh, the, the application process has been announced, or will, will be announced shortly. I don't. I'm maybe interested to see what that looks like. But you know, I think the question is, who do you think this is for? I mean, who? You know, I wonder. I really wonder who, what clubs. Because you have to think they're not doing this. Dennis Crowley and and the other folks with the NPSL board, I can't imagine they're just doing this. They, they didn't wake up one morning this morning and say, "Let's just let's let's just create a full year of of competition." I mean, they ha- they've had to have talked about this, and we know from talking with with folks at CFC that these conversations have been happening. So yeah, and I, my my speculation is this, and we we kind of talked about it. It's I think it's for those in between clubs. They're not ready to jump to professional, but at the same time, they need to like you know obtain relevance in their markets and stay relevant year round. And I think this provides a way for them to do that, and so that way they can kind of practice the full length schedule. Uh, they can gauge uh, relevance in their market. They can do all these things, but yet keep costs very uh, low. Uh, I, that's that's my speculation on it. Yeah. I can't really think of any other. I can't think of this is just where a club lives forever. Right. Yeah. I think I I think I refer to this as a lab, kind of a a lab for those clubs that feel like that they may want to in a year or two to to make a Nisa light move. Ooh, may, might I suggest that as soon as this list of possible teams comes out in a league, that these be the first teams that Avant soccer goes to visit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You, so you're, are you, are you, uh, are you a consulting firm consultant? Is that what you're, is that what, is that what you're trying to get in on the, all I'm, all I'm saying is, is I'm seeing Avant and I'm seeing this new league. How can I get you in a relationship? Well, how can I help you? That's right. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same way. Uh, you know, these NPSL teams like Detroit and CFC were looking at NISA. It's like, what do we have to do to get you guys in a relationship? Yeah, really. So, and we also know we've also heard that NISA and NPSL have been in in some fairly high level conversations. I can only imagine that that means. You know, the boards are talking and I can only imagine what the only type of conversation I think two leagues that deal with independent clubs are going to have is some type of merit based relationship. Right. I mean, so, I, you know, I, I don't know what else they're really talking about. And so, you, you know, you got to think that's in the discussion. I don't know how that works, though. I, I don't I don't I really don't know how it works. I don't know how. This is that different than what UPSL is doing, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I, I can only guess that what we're seeing start to develop is, you know, MPSL is to UPSL what NISA is to USL. So you've got a, you've got a. I think f- I actually saw that question on the SAT. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a, or on the Miller analogies test. You had to take that. Um, <clears throat> it's so you've got this franchise based side of 
of American soccer, and then you have. Uh, <laughs> and wait, then you can have, I do that? Yes, you can. And then okay. you have this quote unquote, uh, open not open independent side of American soccer starting to form, and I can only assume that's that's what the difference is that that these this is for clubs this is for UPSL type clubs. The the normal the, the smaller clubs that might have done that or their current MPSL clubs that want to move up, but they don't want they want to be an independent club. They want to do it that way. This is a league for them to and they can go full time. You know when people when people say Who, where are these players coming from? I mean, are you? I, I don't know if I'm constantly amazed, but you know I am. I'm I'm always surprised when. A, a team just pops up and two months later they're competing like Stumptown had matches. So there are players out there. I mean, there are, there are players out there looking for opportunities to play. There are so many players out there and you got to remember like how many quality players are out there that have never had the opportunity to play above high school. I, you know, and, and I use Dalton for reference a lot just because, uh, you know, I grew up there. I understand the dynamics in play, but there were kids down there that were in high school. And these are mostly Hispanic kids of Mexican background. And they never got the opportunity for one reason or another, grades or, or whatever, to go play in college. And so they've been languishing in these you know, Hispanic leagues and the, the and that may be playing at a very high level. So when these opportunities come along, there are people to fill these spots and continue to improve. And uh, I, I guess I'm amazed at the argument that we don't have the players in this country to play. I yeah, mean, I, the sheer numbers alone contradict that. Yeah, when I hear when I hear people make the capacity argument about about pro rail and about American soccer. That we don't have enough this, or we don't have enough that. I mean, we we have so much untapped potential in terms of players, in terms of clubs. I mean, what UPSL has like three hundred clubs or something, and and MPSL has over a hundred, and 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 that's not even including that. You know, and there are still players out there looking for opportunities. So I, and how how many how many people attend the Dalton League like at, in a game? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many like go down there and actually just sit to watch. But, you know, on any given, you know, Sunday, I mean, there may be just people that come through, maybe a few hundred yeah. just to watch like the adult leagues. Well, get, and, well guess, get, guess are, how many guess are. how many people are watching USL League <laughs> One games? OK, I mean, yeah, fair point. I mean, so you say a couple hundred. Yeah, a couple hundred. That's yes. I, I And I, you know, I've heard story, you know, there's. So let's just put Toronto FC on their jerseys and, and we'll uh, put them in uh, USL one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there, there are those, there are those local community leagues where the community comes out and watches. And I'm sure there are leagues out there that, that, you know, there are a thousand people going there. They're sitting around watching their, you know, members of their community play incredible amateur soccer and there's nowhere for for them to go championships for the championships in Dalton, at least the ones that, that I was witness to, uh, there were several thousand people that came out to watch, to watch that. So (laughs) yeah, people are out there to support and it's in pockets, but I mean, but the idea that the players aren't out there is just absurd. So, right. Um, and, and it just proves that every time we have like a team and me and you are sitting here making fun about, 
oh, okay, yeah, all these players that they don't have. And then the next thing we know, like the next week they're playing a match. And we're like, what, where did these people come from? Yeah. And yeah. so, but, um, but yeah, I'm I mean, not really surprised. You know, you know, watch, you know, the Stumptown played and the Fury are playing and, and Oakland well, and Cal United are playing. And I mean, we were told about Atlanta Soccer Club specifically, yeah. you know, about the large contingent of Africans in uh, Atlanta. You know, African immigrants was just massive in Atlanta. And they're like, as soon as somebody taps into that to that pipeline, they will have a steady stream of players, of quality players. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's just incredibly frustrating that, you know, that the, the structure in this, in the country and the, they they just they look down and and they don't they don't seem to see what i see is just immense potential and and i it's just it's just frustrating it's 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 annoying it's it's um it's troubling because i you know part of me is like you know we've been talking about those community leagues and we've been talking about you know what communities are we talking about and you look for, you know, the Hispanic community and you look for the African immigrants, you look for immigrant communities. You do not see any of that representation uh, at any high level of U.S. soccer. Um, you don't see it at any high level of any ND1. And um, I, it's it's troubling to me and it, and, and it can't, for, you know, it's, maybe it's a coincidence and I'll just leave it at that, but I don't know that it is. So I don't think it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily on purpose and, but I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. Yeah. You know, if it's, it's where you're shopping for players, if, if you're depending on all your players to come from, you know, okay, our players come from uh, this Academy or our players come through, uh, you know, these specific channels and you never bother to look another channel. I mean, it, you're just, you're going to get what you get. Yeah, and you're you're right. It's just the way our system is set up, and those players from immigrant communities, they're not they don't even know that there's no channel to them. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah, you're right. It's very frustrating. Yeah. But hey, so, we went down that we chased that rabbit, didn't we? <laughs> well, yeah. So I mean, it's it, so it's it's interesting to to think about you know how MPSL might be working with NISA if, if that means a merit based system would happen in the future. You know, how does that work with the existing PLS? You know, we always come back. To those documents, we always come back to the requirements that U.S. Soccer puts in place for Division Three and Division Two. Um, you know, it's a high standard for those NPSL clubs, and so if they earn promotion, um, what does that get them? You know, you and I have talked about this. You know, if it's got to be more than long be, distance travel. Yeah, it's got it's got to be more than we get to pay more money. Um, and then how you know the clubs going down? If you're a NISA club and you're in a you're in a USSF sanctioned. Uh, league and you go down to USASA. Now I know USASA is in turn sanctioned by USSF, but there are different requirements as we know, because if there weren't different requirements, we wouldn't be in NISA. We would be in MPSL pro or whatever the hell that was going to be called. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, Chris uh, uh, Kivlahan, I think is how you pronounce it is. will be doing an interview with some folks from MPSL, I think Kenny Farrell, uh, I, he, he announced, he put it out on his Twitter account that I think the interview was going to be happening today or tomorrow. He was asking folks for some questions and it will be published on midfield press. I'll be very looking, I'll be looking very much to reading that and seeing what, what information, what new information that he can get from Kenny. Um, it's, it would, um, you know, I, it's to me, it's interesting 
as soon as the information this came out, there was immediate people saying, you know, MPSL is a joke. So why are they doing this? You know, do we want more MPSL? Cause MPSL is terrible. Heck I made, I even made a joke when somebody said this is three times the MPSL. And I'm like, well, just think that means we could have my could you two and my could you plus and, you know, all, you know, all kinds I, of I will stuff. say this, this, this kind of does speak to the rabbit you and I chased. Okay. Is the fact that there are for, for every community that wants to have a team being like MPSL is about the lowest, uh, has about the lowest barriers to entry to any, you know, organized high level league that there is. Yeah. So that will serve the, you know, those, those communities. And, and I think, you know, there should be a push for that. And, you know, the more teams there are, the more regionalized they can be. And yeah, maybe it can feed into a, a bigger system. And maybe that bigger system ends up being uh, NISA after they go from, you know, the, the MPSL short season to the MPSL expanded and, and, and realize that they have a base there. Maybe they move up into NISA and then maybe NISA gets big enough that it can regionalize instead of, you know, having to fly cross country for games. So, you know, maybe this is part of a bigger picture. Maybe it's not. That's why it's Tuesday night and we're sitting here speculating. Yeah. So I, I, I put out, I was kind of just um, thinking about this out loud on Twitter and said, you know, that so maybe the, the non-franchise, non-franchise leagues, that would be NISA and NPSL, need to get their stuff together and hurry up and work together while the franchise leagues are fighting and suing each other. Because remember, uh. remember USL is suing UPSL, and it's only a matter of time between before USL and, M- and MLS get into it, whether it's over, it's over uh, USL relegating the MLS two teams down to D3 or if it's about – MLS plopping teams down in USL markets and US, you know, I don't know what USL could do about that. And, you know, USL and UPSL are suing each other to legitimize their leagues. <laughs> so they've looked at US soccer and they're like, that's how we become. Yeah. So, they, so they're all ourselves in the legal system. All those leagues are suing each other. It seems like it'd be a good time for UPSL and MPSL to, oh, I don't know, get together and figure out. Cause imagine. If and this is so, this is what somebody responded to me. It's Paul Dawkins at Paul Dawkins uh, at Paul underscore Dawkins on Twitter. He says, In an ideal ideal world, one of the MPSL slash UPSL would buy the other out, then pair up with NISA, preferably after abolishing their franchise fees and territorial rights requirements. That that's that's a big, you know, but uh, that many yeah. are. That many organizations under one banner moving in the same direction would outnumber MLS USL ten to one. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not wrong. I mean, it's it would be a massive that would be a massive amount of clubs and people and players and communities that if if they could work together and move together towards a common goal. You you would have to think U.S. soccer would have to pay attention. Now I know what I realize what I'm saying, but um, well, good because I, I was about to point out what you were saying. You didn't realize <laughs> it, and plus I don't want to blast your ear with laughter on the other end. Uh, I know. Yeah, the idea that the, you the, I, I, you know for all of our brothers for the cosmos, uh, I, I know it's a tough time for you right now. You're you're getting so much grief on <laughs> on on Twitter. Uh, but I want to say thank you. And this is a sincere thank you. This isn't the sarcastic, uh, thank you, hashtag thank you cosmos, but seriously, like 
the one hope that we have, I think, more than far more than getting it all, the entire U.S. soccer com- community moving in the right direction is the lawsuit, because I think that's the last best hope that we have. So, uh, and Rocco seems committed to it, and so thank you, Cosmos. Well, I think you, you have to wonder if um, if MPSL and NISA are if they are talking together. And, and and kind of engaging in those conversations about movement in between those leagues, you have to think that they are doing that with one eye on that lawsuit, um, because you know you, you know when when Nisa first was a was an idea, the one of the early comments, one of the early things that was talked about was movement between Nisa and NASL, and so you've got to think that. Again, you've got this franchise system that's on one side. You've got this independent system that's lining up on the other. If that lawsuit comes down and NASL is suddenly a thing again, you've got to think that the Cosmos, maybe Miami, maybe who knows, maybe some other clubs would would jump. You know, I, I kind of asked John, you know, hey, you know, when if if you win that lawsuit, you're going to walk out. The you know, um, New York's going to walk out of the courtroom. And who are they standing with? Well, initially they're not going to be standing with anybody. But if NASL were to somehow re you know reorganize, you have you would have to think that some of those old NASL clubs would 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 want to go back. So maybe Philadelphia, maybe Miami, and maybe they're. Maybe- I, don't, I don't know. By that time, I mean, who knows what kind of time frame? Th- those teams are already so invested in other leagues and other directions. I mean, the outlier would then be the Cosmos. They're well, again, the ones it, that would have to make a, a decision on what they want to do. It, it goes back to the question of would they want to be D two? Because you know that, that's that the other the other thing would be if in, in well, there's would, no more sanctioning, so it's just the wild. Well, West. okay, there would no be. I understand that there would be something. I, I can't imagine a world where there's just leagues. I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just. Maybe I'm just um, I'm I'm not creative enough. Uh, I think I would have to think that if, that even with the case, even if even if New York wins the case, that at some point there's going to be there's going to, there's going to be some type of sanction because you know, you and I talked about um, we used the example of you can't have a, a a you know a D1 club that doesn't have lights on its field right so I mean there have to there's going to have to be something um, to organize this. Um, but anyway, imagine a world where there was an organization yeah, yes. that actually that cared about, I don't know, all yeah, levels cared about soccer in this country and not yeah. just some people playing soccer, but all levels of soccer. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so like, I have to shake my head because whenever, whenever you start to bring this stuff up, somebody always says, well, MLS isn't, doesn't want to, MLS isn't going to want to do, MLS doesn't want to do this, MLS, MLS, I'm like, MLS. Who cares what they want to do? They need to be made to do I know. Things. MLS is, is MLS U.S. soccer? Uh, currently, that's a, that question might be up in the air, but. Mm-hmm. So I can only, I can only think that if NISA and NPSL are, are, are talking that maybe that they've got one eye on something else and, and. And I know that they can't. They can't do a whole lot right now because it's still closed. And you know, and even if, even in, even Nisa is, it's still a closed league. You you have to you have to pay dues and and you can't just leave the league. I mean, it's they're still it's still not quite open. It's still not open. So 
but it's like I've said, even even open leagues, like they have requirements. I mean, there's yeah. a, uh, their form of a PLS in, in every single professional league in the world. You don't get to go from, you know, the third tier in English football all the way up to the Premier League and still be playing at a 5,000 seat stadium. Correct. That's not how that works. Yeah. So with every level goes up, it's understanding that the level of professionalism, the infrastructure and things of that nature has to uh, has to adjust. But, you know, the idea that that those parameters you know, it, the entire D1 structure is occupied by MLS and nobody else is going to be allowed into it, basically. That's that's a problem. So, Well, I think that's enough about that. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's we'll, – we'll probably – once the season is over, uh, we might get into more of this stuff um, when we have less soccer, actual soccer to talk about and we can, we can get in the weeds about ProRail and all that stuff. So – um, All right. Well, anything else for this week? I don't think so. Uh, again, we've got a match this it was weekend. Big News Tuesday. Yeah, Big News Tuesday. We've got a match this weekend, and hopefully the guys can go up and get three points, and maybe Costa can get a couple more goals and, and pad his lead in that golden boot, and we can solidify our place in the table. Yeah, that would be nice. To definitely pull away from those uh, those bottom uh, three, without a doubt, and, and give us some uh, a nice springboard to take some points back from Detroit when they come into town and go and give us a reason to go up to Detroit to uh, uh, New York and, and uh, take three off them as well. Yeah, I mean, so that we're, we, we can still do some damage in this tournament. And so like, I want us to do it. Yeah. Uh, so that would mean so. 10 points out of the 12 for project 12. That's not terrible, you know, no. but uh, it's certainly, we ha- certainly would feel like we, we, we left two points on the table, but so yeah, hopefully we'll go and get those three, and then move uh, move up and uh, head out to New York, and and who knows, maybe maybe we can steal a result there. And um, again, the, again, we've played, we have played well. So if you believe statistics, if you continue to play this well and continue to create the chances that you're creating, that eventually those chances will go in, and you will see results. That's the idea. Uh, hopefully, that is uh, that's what happens, and. Um, so just win baby yeah just, just win, win. <laughs> all right so with that i guess we'll wrap this one up uh you can find us on anchor.fm now at anchor.fm slash 423 soccer pod that is where all of our old episodes are you can also if you're interested choose to to support the podcast and and we appreciate those folks who have already chosen to do that um, you can find the you can find us on Twitter at four two three soccer pod. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash four two three soccer pod. This is Jim, and you can find me on Twitter at Chattagooner. And this is Todd. You can find me on Twitter at Great Footballer. Until we see y'all again, go CFC. Go blues. Oh, it's gone! Oh, got it! What a shot from Wilshire! Off the other side, the crossbar! Nice little chip! Oh, Mr. Oliveira! With a cheeky goal! <laughs>